You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, but the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. A soon-to-be college graduate and his dad, a recently retired college professor, set out on an 80-day journey around the NBA, hitting all 29 arenas over that nearly three-month period. I'm Aaron Fishman, and I was just describing the backdrop of a terrific memoir I read this spring called Around the League in 80 Days. Gabriel and Bill Allen were gracious enough to join me for this special episode to take us behind the scenes and to discuss how they approached both the travel component and the book writing process. What an adventure this father-son duo went on in early 2015. I encourage listeners to consider finding this on Amazon or wherever you get your books. I'll be providing that link in the episode post. Anyway, Let's run through a more proper introduction of my guests before we hear from them. Bill Allen, retired associate professor of world religions at Temple University, among other universities, currently coaches his daughter, a tennis pro. As alluded to in the interview, Bill, under the name William Cully Allen, is also known for his writing and acting. Bill's son, Gabe, has been published all over. Currently, he's a staff writer for RotoWire, a contributor to the Washington Post, and the editor-in-chief of the Lottery Mafia at the Sports Daily. Without further ado, let's get to those Allen authors. Bill and Gabe, it's really good to have you on. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Aaron. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed the book, Around the League in 80 Days. And I'll start with you, Gabe. The first thing I'm curious about, you guys called this adventure the Gravity Tour. If you can describe to me the genesis of the idea, Gabe, and the basic steps it took to transform it from idea to reality. I I know that's discussed a little bit in the book, but I'd love to hear any other details you feel like sharing. Well, Idiot Maker's Gravity Tour is a film that my dad starred in, and uh, so it's kind of loosely associated with that, the idea of, uh, you know, going on this trip of self-discovery and, and, you know, discover new, new places and new, new things. Um, and I mean, I think it was just an idea that my dad got probably even from advertising or something, maybe it was a MasterCard or something, dad, something like that. I I think it was Visa. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And he said, yeah, why don't we go to all the stadiums and whatever? And then, and then it was, you know, the conversation became an idea and, and why don't we would write a book about it? And, and, you know, one thing led to another. And, and then the next thing I'm looking at, uh, the schedule and, and how it would work and mapping it all out. So, uh, <laughs> things have, things move pretty quickly. Yeah. Would you like to add anything to that, Bill? Well, just to explain, uh, about the visa, I, I was sitting watching, uh, television one afternoon and a Visa commercial came on suggesting that uh, you could visit every Major League Baseball stadium 
and put it all on your visa card, have a hot dog and a beer in every one, and say say you've been there, done that. So I I immediately uh, thought that would be boring, but that a basketball trip would be more exciting. Oh, easy, easier to defend the host. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to agree. I have to agree with that. Um, so this came at, at a really interesting point in, in both of your lives. I think that it seemed to work out the timing. So, Bill, you recently retired from your position as a college professor and Gabe, you were about to graduate college at that time. Is yes, that right? I was right on the cusp of graduation. Okay, great. So it seemed to really work out and it was really enjoyable just following both of your journeys throughout the book and throughout your travels. I was actually, I told Gabe this, I was visiting Tokyo in April. It was an amazing experience. I haven't gotten a chance to do that much international travel yet, but I definitely want to do more. And the format made it really easy to read while traveling. I could read a chapter or two or three or six and then just get up and go places during the day and then read more before going to sleep. I mean, it didn't hurt that it was a travel book that I was reading while I was traveling, but the chapters are separated by the arena. So they're 29 bite-sized chapters and, um, and then the closing chapter. What went into the decision to format the book the way you did? Whoever wants to tackle this one. Well, we felt it was kind of a no-brainer. In fact, uh, we really couldn't think of of any other uh, way to do it. It just seemed to lend itself to um, easy organization. We would uh, narrate in chronological order the uh, whole adventure. And so how to break down chapters seemed... uh, pretty obvious uh if we simply went uh team by team or arena by arena since the since the uh, la of course houses two teams we had to slam them slam them slam jam them into one chapter there are probably so many different options that that you could have routes you could have gone with formatting it but it seems like this was the most straightforward and the easiest and it's already challenging to write a book so why add that extra stress well well, Aaron uh, I can't think uh, for the life of me any other way to have done it Uh, even in retrospect but can you suggest other ways that we might have gone about it not off the top of my head but I mean there you if you separated it into different themes or something Uh like that Uh but I don't know what the themes would be like fans the product on the on the court the the cities but that doesn't make as much sense and i thought this was way more easily digestible and it felt like less information was being thrown at me the way it was written like this it was it was easier for me to retain stuff by just reading a three to five page chapter however long the chapters were and then I could move on to the next city and, and arena. So for me, it worked really well. Was not suggesting that you should have gone a different route, but um, I was just curious just about, I guess, how the, the sauce was made. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm asking you just to get some other creative uh, ideas because um, 
in case we go again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really exciting. So, so one thing I really loved that you guys did was you included background on each city's origins. So there was that history in there too. And I don't know if that was informed by Bill's experience as a college professor or just some, um, you, you just both felt that it was important and helpful for the reader to do. But Gabe, what was the rationale behind injecting the history in each of these chapters? Well, yeah, I mean, we're discussing each city and what the team means to the city and to, to its fans. So we felt it was only appropriate. You know, you can't really, I mean, obviously you can separate the team from the city. We've seen it, unfortunately. But, um, yeah. you know, the two, thing, the two things go hand in hand. So we felt that. Yeah. Yeah, to mix, and also to you know give it a good mix so, so it's not just all basketball. So yeah, definitely. I think you weaved it in well. You also included some play by play, not definitely not too much um, because that's tangential to the point of each chapter. But it gave it a little a little bit more life, I think. And we felt like I felt like as a reader, I was there in the moment. And some of these games were not even close. Some of them went down to the wire. But like I was saying, that was besides the point that just, I think, added a little bit of flavor to the whole journey, along with the dialogue when you guys are talking to police, homeless people, border patrol. There's just all all kinds of really fascinating dialogue that brings the reader in, I think. Well, thanks. No problem. So... Gabe, I know you're a journalist, and I assume, Bill, you wouldn't consider yourself one. Is that right? Well, I'm an author. An author? Yeah, so, I, I don't write fiction. <laughs> so kind of. You're, you're kind of a journalist. <laughs> so um, in traditional journalistic projects, the writer's objective or aims to be objective and seeks to kind of take himself or herself out of the story. This book does not do that. As I alluded to before, it's kind of the opposite. You're both central characters, in my opinion, in in the book, Traveling Now. And then also, Bill, your journey as a teenager, homeless traveler. Tell me more about how important it was to um, have that thread throughout the book. Well, it it was important to me to be able to... uh, recall and reminisce about the experience uh, with, with Gabe in particular as my uh, sounding board and my audience. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I'll tell you, we decided to weave this story into the book uh, only after it became apparent that Gabe had, you know, rooted an itinerary that more or less matched, uh, uh, coincidentally, the path that I took as a teenager. So observing that he had it arranged that way, I thought, geez, this is the way I I traveled when I was a teenager. Uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. You may have heard of the book. Um, No. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is a, 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 a fictional novel, a very bestseller kind of book that uh, was, a, was a, about a two-week motorcycle trip that a father and son took. And uh, it, too, paralleled some uh, two stories. So I, I, I taking that, uh, 
my cue from that genre, I, mm-hmm. uh, I thought this would make an interest. Uh, it would add another dimension to the book and, and make it um, interesting, I had hoped. So for Gabe, how big of a coincidence was that? I, I know the order of the chapters and where you traveled was pretty efficient geographically. I mean, it, it made sense. It wasn't like you were zigzagging across the U.S., but <laughs> um, there are so many different routes you could have taken. So how did that happen? I would say, yeah, total coincidence. Um, I, the thinking was, okay, let's knock out the Northeast uh and then we can tackle go go south and and move west. Uh, idea being that we didn't want to be uh, stuck somewhere that it was too cold during during the All Star break, and uh, we you know we wanted to try to be traveling in, in the winter for the most part uh, in you know nicer areas where we might not get hit by any uh, weather snags. So total yeah. total coincidence. Just touching back on that time in your life, Bill, when you were a homeless teen wandering around the U.S., just to to those different cities that you allude to throughout the book. How important is that to your life now, your experiences then, and in how that shaped your perspective on things? Well, thank you for asking. Um, It's very important. And what I learned during that time was how to look at the world from outside of it, because Mm -hmm. I really wasn't a part of it. And um, I learned that a, a person can survive uh, without possessions and without fixed address. It's possible uh, by, because of the generosity and, uh, you know, mercy and kindness of people. But it is possible. And uh, it, it also, well, I think just to reiterate it, it enabled me to to view the world from outside of it. Um, you know, uh, I kind of think of it like, like you know, uh, when you're a kid, you play hide and go seek, and uh, you're hiding pretty well. But some you're you're somebody's about to find you, and your heart's pounding, and you're afraid somebody's gonna you're gonna be found. It's only a game. Uh, and and at any moment you can stand up and say I I quit I'm not playing and, mm-hmm. and therefore you can reduce the anxiety and the stress and you can do that with life too I found uh, uh, that is you you can drop out <laughs> and uh, seek an alternative way of being in the world and seeing in the world so um, it continues to be an important. Uh, to have an important uh, impact and influence on on my perspective. I think that's really cool that you're open to sharing that with the readers. And it also added a lot to the book in terms of um, vividly painting a picture. So one example I'm thinking of is in the New Orleans chapter when Bill's looking for paintings of himself that he posed for <laughs> yes, as a teenager I'm, there. I'm still looking. <laughs> that may be tough, but that's admirable that you're trying to get trying to find those. So I wanted to ask Gabe about this. I was talking a little bit about objective journalism in that previous question and 
you wrote in the 76ers chapter that once Philadelphia traded away Drew Holiday, <laughs> that quote liberated me from fanatic fandom, <laughs> an emotional separation more befitting a professional sports writer. <laughs> Given that the 76ers had this exhilarating 2017-18 season that really proved that Sam Hinkie was on the the right track and that they were doing some things right with their tanking strategy. Did they pull you back in or are you still a jaded writer like me? (laughs) Uh, I'm happy to admit I'm on the wrong side of history there. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, no, I think, I think it's, um, it's a lot more healthy relationship for me to have with the game and, and for, and as a writer, um, you know, I, I think there's there's plenty of things for me for me to get emotionally invested in, and and all hopped up on, and and I'm I'm glad right now at this point that you know a, a basketball team isn't isn't going to affect my mood or you know. So yeah, for me, I can say honestly that I am a Clippers fan, and I watch their games and I root for them, but it's not like what you were describing, where it's it's not like a typical fan and. Um, I'm able to step back and criticize the team when when it needs to be criticized or or praise it in a, in a way that I think has credibility. Whereas if you're just a homer, it's just everything is is the worst thing in the world or the best thing in the world with the team. But um, I definitely can understand where you're coming from. Would you still consider yourself a 76ers fan to a certain extent, even though it's not to a crazy level? To a certain extent, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I still go to games. And I'm, you know, when everybody else is happy in the stadium and, and they're playing well, you know, it'd be pretty inhuman to to be unhappy or, or you know, whatever. It'd like to see other people happy. So right. when they're doing well, everybody else, everybody in there is happy, and you like to see that. He's it's a, exciting. Oh, go ahead, Bill. He's a season ticket holder. <laughs> I'm glad we have this perspective to add a little bit dose of reality. But I still I understand where you're coming from, Gabe, and. It's good that you have that separation, that perspective. It's also kind of just a personal thing. You know, I, I think uh, I probably erred on the side of, of, of tr- truly defining that word fanatic. I was probably a little unhinged at that. <laughs> so, you know, to, to each their own, whatever everyone can handle. So, Yeah. <laughs> One thing that at times I wasn't sure about in the book, I usually could identify – Bill's voice versus Gabe's. It was usually pretty straightforward. Um, I know I th- you joked about this, Gabe, I think, how Bill likes to use a lot of alliteration sometimes. Yeah, so I've and, stolen that from him too quite a bit. <laughs> and um, and sometimes, then, sometimes we're loving, lovingly referred to as the alliterative Allens. <laughs> I like that. And, so, and then also sometimes... You call him Bubba, and uh, and you refer to to Bubba in the third person, or I think Bill refers to you um, in the third person too. So that at those points, I know whose voice it is. But are you kind of alternating interchangeably, seamlessly sometimes, where it's a little bit difficult for the, for the reader to tell, or? I, I don't know. What do you think of my interpretation? On I that? think it's a great question. And I'll tell you very frankly that, um, uh, uh, that, that <laughs> I'll tell you how to tell you that 
we we sometimes very deliberately put words in each other's mouths, mm-hmm. me- meaning this wasn't really Gabe composing, it was me composing, or vice versa. Um, and uh, that I think in a sense, maybe our, you know, you're looking for the voice in the, in the in the book, but or we're looking for our voice as writers. But in a sense, the the two voices kind of, um, well, they kind of collapse into each other. They kind of coalesce no. into each other. Coalesce mm-hmm. into each other. I, I'm, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I think we just used it mostly as a literary device to break up the voice and, and and rather than it being told from either one of us and uh, to give the impression that in fact, we've co-authored it. So you're going to hear both of our voices (laughs) and, and then in the, in the actual science of writing, very often we collaborated in polishing each and every sentence. We were just rather, uh, deliberate about making our voice one. Okay. So related to that, what was the challenge of divvying up tasks or how did you go about doing that basically? Tasks in terms of the writing? I guess like, yeah, like um, was one of you working on one chapter or arena or a set of ones while the other was working on the others? Yeah. And then so- you kind of traded or how did that work? So a lot of times he would take on uh, a lot of the research for the cities and stuff. Obviously, that would help too. But uh, mm-hmm. kind of intro, a lot of times he would be very good at getting the chapter started. And then my job would be to keep the ball rolling. Okay. And so sometimes, like sometimes, he'd and say, sometimes he'd say, I can't find anything interesting about this scene. <laughs> I say, I didn't say, what are you talking about? This is the most interesting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> this is the lead. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we uh, we do a little research on the history of each city as a kickoff. That that's always what primed the pump of each chapter. Some some uh-huh. research on the history of the city, looking for uh, ingredients in the history that somehow uh, linked to the team or to the present uh, circumstance. Yeah. On a different note. Gabe, were you really just note-taking all the time during your interviews, or did you use an audio recorder sometimes too? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. So a lot of times when it would be like fan interaction, I would be taking notes, and then some of the higher you know, profile people that I would talk to, I would, they would be maybe more comfortable, I would assume. So I, I would always ask them, can I record? Okay, so. that makes sense. So it seemed like sometimes you were kind of just running around as sometimes we have to do as reporters and there isn't that uh, guarantee that you're going to be able to secure an interview or maybe you are confident you'll get it, but you don't know when or how long you'll have with a person. Talk a little bit about the balance between how much planning went into whom you were going to speak with and, and about what and the spontaneity of it all as it was happening, unfolding so quickly. Yeah. So I was really green. I was really green at this point in terms of uh, my journalistic uh, background and what I, what I had done. 
right. you know, a few clips, newspaper clips and whatever, but you know, uh, it wasn't to the point where, where I was getting, uh, any media credentials really for the most part. Um, and so, you know, it really all was spon- spontaneous, uh, and running around. It wasn't like I was securing, uh, interviews beforehand. So yeah, to answer your question, it was probably 99% getting into the arena and, and you know, maybe ha- having, uh, read a little bit about what's going on that day, who might be there and, and, and so on and so forth, trying to, uh, maybe get a word with, with certain, certain people, uh, eh. So it was a lot yeah. of running around and kind of relying on hoping that you could kind of sweet talk somebody into uh, letting you in, into, into an area that you didn't have a ticket for or something like that, you know. I really respect that. It depends on your personality, too, to a certain extent. Um, you can't be shy, or if you are shy, you just have to fight through it and just inject yourself into those uncomfortable situations and, and just take a risk, see what happens, even if you get rejected for an interview. But just from experience, I can say that it can be incredibly tough and overwhelming, especially if you haven't planned something beforehand and you feel like you're inconveniencing your um, subject or like they may not have time for you. Right. And so I really respect that you were able to do that, especially being so new to the process at that point. It must have been challenging. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. He was a real gorilla, a real gorilla journalist. <laughs> he, 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 I don't know he, about that. <laughs> he, would, he would chase uh, people up the steps to to track them down for an interview. Um, I probably scared a few people here and there. Yeah, yeah. But I think he had a lot of training as a kid. He was very aggressive getting uh, autographs at basketball games as a kid. Always willing to stay 20 minutes after the game to get an autograph. Yeah, very aggressive. <laughs> what is that called in investigative stories or on the local news when journalists kind of confront the person who really doesn't <laughs> want to talk or be seen? Yeah. I forgot the term for that. I don't know if you guys know, but <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I'm picturing right now. But, no, but in truth, though, it came across as a lot of people, whether they were – I don't even want to use the term influential, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second, but – some big name people definitely spoke with you, some Hall of Famers and a lot of former players. But also, I really appreciated how you were able to talk, able and interested in speaking with some everyday fans who were able to capture really well why they love the city or the team so much. Was that kind of a no brainer from the get go that it wasn't only going to be big name people, it was also going to be these fans we've never heard of before? Well, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I never could assume that I was going to be able to get X, Y, or Z name. And so, you know, True. fan interaction was, was at the top of the list in terms of going to be trying to spark a conversation with as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. So. We'll get back to the alliterative Allens right after this. This is Randy Harvey, former sports editor of the Houston Chronicle, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat. I know the schedule varied depending on how much time you guys had or whatever circumstances at the time, but Bill, what was the general routine for both of you when you arrived to, into a city? Well, because our, our drive times were anywhere from 8 to 11 hours a day when we drove, Jeez. Uh, we were exhausted by the time we arrived, so we would always simply 
uh, go directly to our hotel, check in. Uh, what's, what's more interesting is that uh, consistently when we arrived at the uh, arena, we, we, would, we would try to go by the arena on our way to the hotel, but, you know, it, frankly, we would go straight to the hotel. But when we, when we would go to the arena for the game, we religiously circumambulated the whole place if it were if it were possible the most most arenas it is possible to circumambulate the outside of it and then when we entered in we would circumambulate the inside of it too to make, <laughs> to make sure we saw every every concession and every uh display and every uh nook and cranny of the arena then we'd check out the floor and uh, we'd always arrive early enough to talk with ushers and uh, uh, try to talk with personnel about interviews and such. But uh, really, the, the, back to your original question, we would be so tired by the time we arrived in the city that we would go straight to bed, basically. <laughs> That sounds really ritualistic and also just really great exercise, being able to just walk around exterior and the interior. I, I guess I'm just wondering, so when you were walking around the outside of it, what kinds of things did you learn about the fan base or the teams? Gabe? Yeah, I mean, you, you learn that each, each arena is, is very unique and, and that they, they're, showing, they're showing all their history all throughout the building. And you're saying to yourself, wow, all these arenas, you know, the, everyone kind of figures, I think, that they're all the same. And, and, and but no, really, they're not. <laughs> they're really not. Each one has its own uh, nooks and crannies and, and its own uh, uniqueness. One of them has windows in the roof. <laughs> is, which one is that? Uh, Salt Lake. Oh, uh, okay. They have windows in the, up, in the upper deck uh, through yeah. which you can see the snow-capped mountains. <laughs> wow, that's really beautiful. So... This was addressed near the end. I'm not going to ask you guys to pick your favorite arenas or cities. I know that defeats the purpose, and I'm not going to do it, I promise. But are there particular ones that either of you is more likely to think about when you reminisce about this experience you had three-plus years ago? Why don't you go first, Dad? Well, uh Boston, of course, because I grew up in uh, Massachusetts and remembered uh, going to a Boston Celtics game on my 12th birthday. Uh, and uh, um, so it was nice to be there with Gabe, having been there with my father uh, so many, many uh, years ago. And are you, do you consider yourself a Celtics fan? Uh, well, until, until we relocated here to Philadelphia, I've had to re, re, realign my loyalties. <laughs> I was just asking because you're wearing a Celtics fan, a, a jersey on the cover, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. That's right. We wanted to, to represent our heritage. When the Sixers uh, got down 3-0 this year, I believe he said that they were going to come back against the Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that answers my question. <laughs> In terms of uh, places that we're more likely to remember or that our memories are to last longer, mm -hmm. I was telling Gabe I had a, a distinct memory of uh, uh, going to a sports bar in Houston. And uh, we met a, a, a lawyer there who was uh, represented uh, uh, professional athletes. 
And he told me that uh, he and his father took a, a golf trip uh, where they went to every um, every golf uh, every golf course in uh, Scotland and Ireland and uh, Great Britain for not everyone but right many of them that they wanted to see, and that uh, his father was now so old that he couldn't remember much of any of it, but he had taken so many pictures that the pictures uh, allow- allowed him to. Uh, to reminisce about the experience. They, they jogged his memory. So he told us, be sure to take a lot of pictures. Well, we didn't take a lot of pictures, but we wrote a book. We so did. we're not likely to forget anything. We took plenty <laughs> of pictures, but we wrote a book. So, so that we would not forget any of the arenas and our experiences. I, th- I think having a book is not a bad backup <laughs> document. <laughs> So what yeah. about you, Gabe? Are, are there certain memories that come up more often for you? Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, Miami and New Orleans, kind of having him show me where, where his kind of spots were uh, that, that he was living when he was a teenager. Uh, and, you know, uh, that was really interesting for me. Definitely look back fondly on that. Um, I guess I'll, I'll have to cape for the California uh, coast. And, uh, you know, we saw the two games in one, in one day at Staples Center. That was incredible. Uh, and then going to, we, we were there on the night that the 40th anniversary of the, of that Warriors 75 championship team was being celebrated. This is the, of course, oh, yeah. the, the, this is when we did this, this is of course the year that the Warriors won, uh, won their first title. Uh, yeah. It's uh, because you guys were there when they were celebrating. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Went on this run. No one can stop them. <laughs> but no, I mean, being there for that 40th, for the night of the 40th anniversary where they were honoring all the legends was, was definitely incredible. And uh, we were, when we were in Sacramento, was the one time that we stayed with family. Uh, so, so that was special also. Was this the year that, I don't know if you remember, I think, the, so the last time the Warriors did not make the NBA Finals, they lost to the Clippers in seven games. Was that this season? No, this was the year that they, they ended up the winning the championship. Title. Yeah. Oh, right. okay. Okay. Yeah, so it was really right before they did that. That's interesting. And they were so they were already they were playing really well this yeah. uh at the point where you had visited them, but no one knew they'd turn out to be this dynasty. Definitely, it's, definitely. Yeah. That's and Oracle Arena is just an unbelievable place. I mean, I just I think that'll be something that I remember for a long time. It kinda had that really old school feel. And it also kind of felt like I was in Madison square garden. It was just very uh, cool stadium. I got the opportunity to visit Oracle arena actually in July. And that was my first time ever being there as a fan or media member. I was covering the big three, the league for retired players started by ice cube and Jeff Quatnitz. But yeah, that was really special being there. Even though it wasn't a Warriors game, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, so I just want to end on this because I think the book was ended very powerfully in a chapter that didn't talk about any specific arena. It was just a good way to bring the story to a conclusion. And I mean, it's never, it's never really, nothing is ever really done. I, I'm kind of babbling and um, this, this, stuff is is pretty deep so i'd rather you guys discuss this but i thought it was pretty thoughtful how the book was ended on 
some elusive concepts were touched upon, like time, home, what what really is that, the journey of life. What was the overall message you were trying to convey by ending the book like that? Professor? I, think, I, think li- life <laughs> I thought is that a, was a Bill question. <laughs> li- life is a trip. And uh, it's a trip. It's a journey. It's traveling. It's going somewhere. Uh, you know, and uh, just the metaphor of, of travel, I think, is what makes life worth living. Uh, trips are s- something people look forward to. They plan for. And uh, love getting away. And just as much as, as, as getting back, just as much as returning home. <laughs> are, the, are these things you talk about or, or think about a lot? Or do you just thought, wow, this is just a, a really good way to, to um, put a bow on it for the story? Well, I think both. Uh, I do think it's a nice way to bow, put a bow on it, but it, it is also the something that I think about often, that I reflect often about the life. What is this life? We don't know why we're here. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. But yeah. uh, but sure enough, we're moving. <laughs> There's a, a few lines I wanted to read. I thought the whole chapter was powerful, but these stood out to me. This world is not our permanent home. We have no fixed address. We are all homeless people passing through the fleeting present toward the perpetual postponement of a promised future. And of course, that goes really well with the thread throughout where you talk about homelessness and um, you come into contact with homeless people in different cities and touch upon your journey as a homeless youth. And I, I mean, I, I just think that's such a cool way to end it, how you're on this journey and you're going home, supposedly, but is there really a home? You're arguing not really. And so I, I think there's a lot of merit to that. This was really a pleasure. It was a lot of fun reading the book and getting to talk to you guys both about it. Um, I'll give Gabe the last word. I just would love to hear just closing thoughts on what it was like for you to go through this process and be able to share it with your dad. Oh man. Uh, in a word, I mean, yeah, unforgettable. I mean, the, the chance to bond with, I mean, I, I've always been very close with my father, but you know, the experience of being able to bond and, and have this trip with him, uh, something that I, I can't imagine I'll ever forget. So, I mean, that is tough to put into words really. Yeah. It came across, though, in the book how special it was for both of you. Take care, guys. Good luck. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Looking forward to your book as well. Thanks a lot.